What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. It's Griff. Stuff. And we will have William on this episode coming up in a little bit. But on this episode, we're going to be going over our Boston Celtics. I would say a tough weekend stop. We're going to be looking at that and then a look through throughout the rest of this week. Um, we're also going to be talking some college basketball. The regular season has ended. A big slate of Saturday's games, few upsets, um, a few games to decide who was going to be the regular season champion. And um, also, it's tournament time. So conference tournaments, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Obviously, me and Stav going to the Big East tournament. So a Big East podcast officially to end it. Stav will be leading us once again with some Bruins talk. The best team in hockey. Uh, good episode. Will will be here soon. But Stav, what do we say for now? Let's do it. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Inside the Five. And um, Griff, this was probably the worst weekend of Celtics basketball of the season, probably since last year around this time, um, was the start of the Celtics' run of dominance, essentially, where we've just been spoiled with excellent basketball and then this weekend really made me question whether or not this team is legit to be honest I this might be a little bit of an overreaction but let's start on Friday's game against the Brooklyn Nets where the Celtics led at one point I think in the second quarter by 28 28 yep that lead dwindled down and they ended up losing this game 115 to 105 Griff what went wrong for the Celtics in this game um everything I mean, it, it, when your best player is playing the small forward position and he gets outplayed by the other team's small forward, I mean, you would guess that, you're, that your team's not going to win the game, and that's exactly what happened. Mikal Bridges, I mean, who I predicted once he got moved to the Nets was going to be the best player on this Brooklyn Nets team and take on the sort of role that he has. He had, I mean, a career night against the Boston Celtics. And that's been kind of the story of this weekend. We're going to talk about the Knicks game as well, but Macau um, <clears throat> Bridges uh, scores 38 points. He grabs 10 boards, four dimes um, on only two turnovers with that. I mean, with that productivity rate, two turnovers isn't too bad at all. And Tatum, who's been struggling, had 22 points. He, he grabbed 13 boards, but 0 for 7 from the three-point line, a guy, I mean, that was in the three-point contest this year. Um, my guess is that if you participate in the three-point contest, you're not supposed to be going 0 for 7 from beyond three-point line. But, um, you know, I, I've been bashing Tatum, like, the past few episodes, and I've been waiting. I feel like I've been saying, like, maybe it's this game. Maybe it's this game for him. And I've just been kind of getting disappointed by this guy over and over again. No, I mean, you're 100% right. And ever since the All-Star break, that's when I'm going to kind of date it back to. He hasn't been the MVP player that we essentially have been expecting. Yeah, WBEV. But (laughs) um, he hasn't been the MVP we were expecting him to be. He has not played up to the expectations that he set for himself, right? And if we just want to talk about his performance from beyond the arc, 0 of 7 on Friday, as you said. And then last night, what do you like? Two of 16, three of 16. I think he went yeah, three was, of 16 from three last night, which we'll get to that next game, which was a whole debacle in itself. But 
Jason Tatum needs to step it the fuck up. And if he can't find it from beyond the arc, he's got to take it to the hole more often because when he's taking it and driving into the lane, no one's stopping him. But he's just bailing the defense out by taking contested step-back threes a lot of the time, which really is just frustrating in itself. And if you just looked at his box score without the shooting percentage, he put up a pretty decent stat line, right? 22-13-5 and a steal and two blocks. That's pretty, that's pretty damn good. But... It's just 0 of 7 from 3. That cannot happen. That's essentially seven possessions that you – I could cons- – I don't want to say turnovers, but when you miss seven threes and you're 0 of 7, that's seven wasted possessions in my opinion. And especially yeah. when this Celtics team, since the All-Star break, hasn't really been great from beyond the arc. I mean, I don't have the numbers up with me. Last night they shot, a, 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 I think, a franchise record 54 threes and only made 19 of them, something along those lines. That can't happen. Right. We have a really good team. We have a lot of slashers. We have a lot of guys that can finish inside the paint. And we're just going away from that. And Robert Williams got hurt in this game. And they're playing cautious with him. But it's this team is crumbling at the wrong time. Yeah, you're exactly right. And just if you do want those numbers against the Nets on um on Friday night, <clears throat> nine for twenty-nine from three as a team, thirty-one percent. And then on Sunday against the Knicks. 59 attempts, 29 or 21 makes 35%. So, I mean, Jad just, and, and it honestly, in my opinion, shows a lot more in this Knicks game because obviously they threw up two times as many threes, but it's not even just Jason Tatum. And we're harping on him because, of course, we're looking at this fat 0 for 7 in the three point line column, but. I mean, even JB has been throwing up a good amount of threes. I mean, he went three for eight, so at least he made some of them. Um, and I just feel like Marcus Smart has been jacking up shots. He did in the next three for 11 was um, <clears throat> Marcus Smart in, in the Sunday night game against the Knicks. Um, it's just not a good look. And, and it, we're playing against a team in the Knicks who shoot, they shoot a lot as well. We shouldn't be matching that energy. I mean, it's literally a, the definition of, of playing down to your opponent where – the, the Boston Celtics have been the best offense in the league. That's where they were standing at when they were the best team in the league. Last year was our defense. This year, um, with, with Coach Joe Missoula, it's been more about our focus on offense, our focus on moving the ball. And we just haven't been moving the ball that much. Marcus Smart's been walking down the court, jacking up threes. Derek White's been uh, bringing the ball down the court, trying to get down to the lane, shoot a little floater. And then there's Jason Tatum, who is 0 for 7 from 3 on Friday, 6 for 17 on Sunday. You still score 40 points, but you're taking 30 shots in an insufficient way. And obviously, it, it was very insufficient because we lost the game. And, and on Sunday night's game, um, obviously, I mean, just an absolutely crazy game. People would call it a thriller. I would agree. Double overtime. And if we want to talk about, I mean, teams looking at us and – us being the team to beat, people put a circle around their game against the Celtics, and you can tell because Macau Bridges scored 38 the other night, and then Emmanuel quickly goes out on Sunday night and scores 38 himself. I mean, I think that's a career high for him. It is. He, I mean, granted, it was a lot of volume that went into Emmanuel quickly's 38. Yep. He's got 28 shots. You I mean you should put up a decent stat line if you have the ability to put up 28 shots? But well deserved. Well deserved. I'm not taking anything away from it. He played 55 minutes in this game, and he every time he got the ball, especially in that second overtime. In the second overtime, we couldn't stop him. In the first three possessions, I think he hit he first possession. He hit a three, just walked right into a three, and then he had a wide open dunk, and then he had a crazy lay. 
he he really carried them in that double overtime period and it, it was just pretty damn unfortunate this game was a very winnable game especially against the Knicks who recently beat us in a pretty bad game when we both predicted that the Celtics would win I think that was two weeks ago and yeah. they just or like not this past weekend but the one before yes that. so they came out flat in that game, and then this is an opportunity to get revenge, especially against a team that doesn't have their leading score with uh, Jalen Brunson, especially one of the guys who J.J. Redick says has been playing the best basketball since January as a guard other than Damian Lillard, which I don't even hate that take. He's been playing excellent basketball. This was a chance for you to essentially take a break, right? This was a chance for you to take it to the Knicks. They don't have Jalen Brunson, who's the catalyst of that offense, and um, they, they fumbled the opportunity, and the Knicks – really brought it to the Celtics. I never felt comfortable at any point in this game. I know the Celtics were up 14 late in the third quarter. That lead just blown like that. And um, credit to the Knicks. I mean, Manuel quickly, RJ Barrett hit some big shots. Julius Randle was just a force all throughout that game. Um, but let's talk about the Celtics again. Jason Tatum, I said he went 3 of 17. He went 6 of 17, right? So over the past two games, he went 6 of 24 from 3. That's abysmal. I'm sorry, that cannot happen if you're the best player in the Boston Celtics. You're not that, – that's just a terrible stat line. Um, Mark Smart went 3 of 11, as you said. We shot 21 of 59 as a team. We shot 63s. I, I'm rounding up. We shot 63s, made 21 of them. And Grant Williams, dude, you're asking for $20 million a year, and you are – this is your chance. We, uh, Brad uh, – no, oh, my God, I said Brad Stevens. Um, Coach Zula. <laughs> <laughs> um, he ran a very small rotation. He essentially ran a seven-man rotation this game. But um, and Grant Williams was the focal point of that. He didn't play against Cleveland, and he played a big role in the last two games. And he sucked last night. He sucked. He was the reason why, uh, in that double overtime period when the Celtics were down two, why the Celtics had to call a timeout. Joe Mazzulla wanted yeah. them to yep. take. It. He didn't know what the play was. Yeah, he didn't know what the play was. He messed it up causing the Celtics to waste 12 seconds and then eventually having to take a timeout, which wasn't the worst thing in the world. They ended up getting a good shot yeah. for the win. I'm not mad at that last shot. It happens, right? I, I trust Horford. To take Horford and Horford kind of carried us throughout that game. I mean, yeah. it shows that he was the only person that actually like surprised or shot well from behind the three-point line. And he put up a great stat line too. You put up 20, 14, and six out of Al Horford, who played 46 yeah. minutes. That's huge. The, like a stat yeah. line like that and the usage rate of Al Horford tonight, he's not playing against the Cavs. We'll get to the preview of that eventually, but mm -hmm. it's just a disappointing game. And in overtime too, they had a chance to win it. They were tied. They had the ball last. That's a position you want to be in when the game's on the line tied, you have a chance to win it. And they just looked out of sync, right? Jalen Brown wasted about 10 seconds, got the ball to Jason Tatum with three. Tatum got a good chance. He got a good move. Couldn't finish. That was tough. I thought that was going to go in. But um, it's just tough. It, it was a tough loss, something you didn't want to happen, especially right now after coming off of the worst loss of the season against the Nets. You need to you needed to respond, and now you go to Cleveland tonight, and you don't have three of your five starters with Jason Tatum, Rob, uh, Rob Williams, and Al Horford. Yeah, and um, I I like this game. I I, I like this game a lot because I feel like. What they did this weekend was an absolute reverse of what we thought they were going to do. So, with having Tatum, Horford, Williams out, I think this is a big game for Jalen Brown. I think that this is an absolutely giant game for Grant Williams because, as you said, he's been, I mean, essentially kicked out of the rotation. And he didn't play in 
the last Cavs game because of how big um, the bigs are from Cleveland, he's going to have to play today. I mean, we don't have any bigs. We're going to be using Muscala. We're going to be using Luke Cornett. Um, we don't even have Tatum who runs the four at times. Um, we're going to need him. I mean, we might see a little Blake Griffin tonight too. Like, I bet he starts. We, we're going to see a, a, a good amount of this bench, and we're going to need it. I mean, Pritchard might get some minutes tonight. I know he's a he's a guard, but looking at this game, Cleveland favored by eight points, and obviously the over uh, set at 218. We haven't hit the over like in a week and a half. We haven't been scoring points. That's supposed to be the best part of our game, and um, I think if we win this game tonight, it's going to be because Jalen Brown drops 35. He grabs six boards and has like five assists. But if we lose this game tonight, it's because Marcus Smart is jacking up a shit ton of shots again like he did last game. And I'm getting scared because this is the time of the year when we're like, wait, Marcus Smart might ruin our season. Um, Marcus Smart's just not completely like locked in yet on, on the offensive side. He should literally just be moving the ball. I'm sick of we say it every year. We say it every single year. I'm sick of watching Marcus Smart shoot the ball. I, I, he just pisses me off at this point. I mean, especially if you're going to be putrid from beyond the line, just stop doing it. Give it to your best players, and you know, essentially do your job. Play defense. Move the ball around. Derek White's our scoring guard, and then we have Jalen Brown tonight. Um, Grant Williams going to have to score a couple points tonight if he even plays. If if Grant Williams does not play tonight. I'm going to make the prediction that Grant Williams isn't a Celtic next year because he's going to want 20 mil and you can't get 20 mil if you can't play in every game because you don't fit against another team. Yeah. Will, I mean, welcome to the episode. Yeah, I was just about to say Go that. Um, yeah, um, 100% agree with that. And I was going to say tonight's actually, I think, one of the more like momentum games for us this season. I know we're playing men down, but I think having Jalen Brown out there – and us throwing out a lineup, I think if we can come out at least better than we did against the Knicks and possibly try to scrap scrap this game out and possibly win, I think that's big momentum-wise, especially after taking just such a bad loss last night to the Knicks. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's essentially a scheduled loss. The Celtics are kind of throwing in the white towel in a way where yeah. last night you have guys playing extended minutes, right? You go to double overtime, guys are playing over 50 minutes, which is mm-hmm. not – good especially when you have to travel to go on a second night of a back-to-back Cleveland's favored by seven and a half tonight or eight points um it's expected that the Cavs are going to win this game right yes. and I, I'm not expecting a win for the Celtics tonight and um the keys to victory uh Jalen Brown has to be on one he can't turn over the ball and he's got to really give energy to this lineup again which is going to be tough playing over 50 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back on the road this is one of those games where it's like you think that there's no chance, but then maybe they come out and surprise you, right? Because maybe guys like Peyton Pritchard step up. Malcolm Brogdon's going to play. He didn't play last night, and mm-hmm. um, he'll probably be off the bench. The starting five tonight's probably going to be Smart, White, JB, Blake Griffin, and Grant Williams, or some sort of – Or maybe, maybe like Cornette yeah. with, with Blake or with Grant. Of the size. It might be Cornette. It might be Muscala. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see it, to be honest. I'm excited to see how this lineup clicks because to be Cleveland can't defend. No. I mean, interior defense is pretty good with <clears throat> Mobley and Jared Allen. We'd the size down there. Yeah. 
they can't defend the wing. What they have in size down low, they lack in size at the guards, right? Darius mm-hmm. Garland and Donovan Mitchell are smaller one and two guards. And uh, who's their three who starts? Okoro. He's a smaller Okoro. three. So who do you put on Jalen Brown? And I don't know if Donovan Mitchell's playing today. Yeah, he's day-to-day. I, I assume – actually, if I'm Cleveland and he's on the – I mean, I'm just saying this just because. But um, <laughs> I play him tonight if Jason Tatum's not playing. You know he did I mean? um he did go through Monday morning shoot around. He probably so will. It's play. looking like he's gonna play, but it's it's a finger injury, so it's not like anything he might too special. If Donovan Mitchell doesn't play tonight, I mean you got you gotta take the Celtics. You gotta just pray because at some point something's gonna happen with this team where we got to get back on track because we're slipping real hard. We're at 45 and 20 right now, which obviously sounds good. Um, but, I mean, the way that we were looking at the Celtics was we're on pace for 60 wins. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to get to that point now, but we're a game and a half back on Milwaukee. We're only three games in front of Philadelphia, and we've lost two in a row. Who's to say we don't lose to the Cavs to, or who's to say we yeah, who's to say we don't lose to the Cavs tonight? And then we have the Trailblazers again on Wednesday. And the Trailblazers have been spotty where Dame can come out and drop 50, drop 40 points. And I mean, it's just, it's a scary road. And we're getting through that bulk of the season, like we talked about, where we're getting through these Cavs games, Knicks games, Nets games, and it should ease off. We just need to get to that point very soon, and we need to win those games that we should be winning, and and we're just not doing that right now. I mean, last episode we talked about it, the road ahead for the Celtics, and we – I mean, I'm pretty sure I went on a limb and said that they could probably win uh, with the 22 remaining games that they had at the time that they – or what was it, 19? I think that – I said they could go 16 and 3, maybe even 15 and 4, whatever it was. They already dropped two of those. I mean, let's look at the road ahead for this week. Tonight at Cleveland, which we're kind of saying is going to be a loss if Donovan Mitchell plays. Then we have Portland at home, and then we go to Atlanta. You know, like you said, Portland's a team that could randomly come out and put up 150 points, right? Damian Lillard's on one. Ever since the new year, essentially, he's been on one. He's been playing as a top guard in the entire NBA, and the guys around him are randomly spotty, right? you got Jeremy Grant. you got Cam Reddish, who's who both of those guys are playing pretty decently for the their standards and then you go to a to atlanta on saturday um trey young's obviously there i i don't really think atlanta's that good but then you can oh, ran really all these nights Dejounte murray scored 41 the other night so they got two insane guards and if you're not on your game defensively they will make you pay so the Celtics really need to pick it up especially because we're going on such an easy stretch up until i'm gonna say like the king's game a few weeks from now that's kind of back to where, okay, the Kings are a pretty good team, right? I, I have no problem saying the Kings are a pretty good team, and that mm-hmm. might be a challenge for us. We got to get some wins before then so we can get a little momentum heading into the last half of the year. Yeah, I mean, but it, it, it's going it's gonna to go – we need – out of those three games that you said, Cleveland, Portland, Atlanta, we need two out of three of those games, and that's not a guarantee – um, but I mean, just looking out out at it, if Rob Will can't stay healthy, if we're relying on Al Horford to be our third, sometimes second best player on nights when Jason Tatum is just collapsing, and 
I honestly, I want to have a whole episode, like a whole hour long talk about how disappointing Jason Tatum is to me this season. And I know he's putting up the numbers, but ever since his shoe came out and he dropped however many points he dropped to be all-star game MVP. And then he talks about how like, yeah, he needed to get this because his shoe just dropped. It's the first year that Kobe's name was on it or whatever. And then you go out uh, a week after um, and in a game you get tossed. You were like, Oh, it's the first time I get tossed. Uh, Kobe got tossed. Uh, all these legends got tossed, blah, blah, blah. He's kind of just like checking things off of his list where it's like, okay, like I need to get these intangibles. I need to get these self-achievements. And it's kind of gotten out of hand after the shoe release. And I like the shoes. I like the shoes a lot. And the new blue ones that he just dropped were pretty cool. But he he's a little too focused. And, I mean, this is like the Walmart – or actually this is the – PG version of John Morant situation where it's like he's getting to the point of superstardom. What's he gonna do now? Jason Tatum's going try hard superstardom, and, and John Morant's gonna gonna lose all of it. But that's that's a talk for another time as well. But I just, I mean, I can't go more than fifteen, and it shows on this podcast, 15, 20 minutes without like really wanting to get upset about the road that Jason Tatum is taking. And I know it's an overreaction, but if we keep losing games like this, then everybody's going to come to agree with me. So it's either I overreacted or I was one of the first ones to call it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just calling my shot essentially. Essentially, you can like see it brewing up like on a day-to-day basis, just from interviews, post-game interviews, and just the way he's acting on the core. And like, especially like last night, like when they were trying to run that play at the end of the game, like he was getting like fed up as if like they weren't trying. Like obviously, like something did go wrong, but like, like, like I feel like just as like we've always been, like no one gets that visibly angry when we're playing. Like it's like the communication just seems so off. Yeah, and it has been. And obviously that 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 one play results of is a result of Grant Williams just being an absolute idiot and not knowing the play. Um, but I mean it's the same thing. It's a whole team thing right now where I feel like last year, um it it was like the first year, obviously, that we made the finals. After you make the finals, it's all right, you you you've solidified your spot as one of the best players in the NBA. And Jalen Brown has honestly done the same. He solidified himself as an all-star. Grant Williams is, I mean, a person that could start on any other team, apparently, after the last um, finals run that we had after last season. That's what everybody was saying. Um, Same with Derek White. Like, we have all these people, and the egos get big after your first championship appearance. The big issue was we're moving on from our coach. It, it looks good, and once Coach Joe Mazzula gets his, I mean, interim tag taken off, and he's a full-time coach, I feel like we've been a lot worse since then. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if the locker room is losing – or if he's losing the locker room or if, I mean, the locker room is just too big for him. Like, because that – I mean, that's what happens in the NBA, and I just feel like there's an issue with a lot of things. The rotational issues with the Celtics is – Players that should be playing every night aren't playing every night because we're taking too much of an analytical approach. So Grant Williams, um, Stav, like you said earlier on the episode, some nights he's not playing, some nights he is playing. On Sunday night, it showed up. Uh, it showed up that 
um, a lack of a young player playing will lead to mistakes. And you put him out there in a late game situation and Jason Tatum is screaming at him, trying to tell him what play we're running. And he's sitting in the right corner. And you can clearly tell as a person watching the screen that he is supposed to be on the other corner because that's where every other person is on the court. I mean, it's just, there, there's a lot of issues that we had this year that, um, we didn't really have last year and and it's a, a direct result of the change of coaching because when you take a defensive mindset and a coach Ime Udoka mindset honestly of hard-nosed defense being the best defensive team in the league there's a certain level of discipline and focus that you have to have compared to going out there and you're like okay if we score 135 140 points in a night we're gonna go out there and win a game that's kind of what we're doing this year yeah it's kind of what this last since the all-star break i want to say what it reminds me of really is the basketball we played before january last year and it sucks to see that to be honest because we know what this team is capable of our complaints come from a spot where we know how good this team actually is and how well this team can perform especially under the spotlight and then you have two back-to-back national tv games where you underperform a shit ton like it's not even like oh shoot um, the Nets really just outperformed us there. They were hitting all their shots. No, you blew a 28-point lead. And then you talk about the Knicks last night. It wasn't like, oh, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, they're a reason why they're two all-stars. Uh, no, Jalen Brunson didn't play. I mean, it just caused an effect ever since the all-star break where this team really hasn't had a, a win that we walk away from. Like, all right, whew, yep. thank God we've had that. I mean, I'll literally go through it off the top of my head. Game against Indiana, they took us to overtime. They aren't really – they're the tenth, They're the 11th seed right now. That's a tough so. have to take the overtime. Next game, you go to Philly. Philly is – that's a pretty good win, all things considered. Um, it took you a game-winning shot to beat them and literally 0.1 seconds away from that game and going overtime. Then you face the Knicks, right? You lose that game by 14. Jalen Brown didn't play, but Jason Tatum played atrociously. Then you face Cleveland. You have that win. You were up 20 at one point in that game. And then you let the lead dwindle down. They only won that game by four. I know it was kind of a backdoor cover by the Cavs, but still, you got to control the. You have to control the entire possession. You don't know what's going to happen if you, especially come playoff basketball and more meaningful games. If you're up twenty, you got to increase that lead to thirty. You can't let that drop down to ten because once it's a ten point game in today's NBA, anything can happen. Then you have Brooklyn Friday night, twenty eight point lead blown, and then you go last night double overtime loss to a Jalen Brunson list New York Knicks team. And now you go tonight, second night on the road of a back-to-back. What happens, right? Can this team actually overcome adversity? Can this team play good defense? And can they beat a team when your back is on the wall? This is the worst possible position you could be in. I, I'm not I'm not saying record-wise, but I'm saying the circumstances of the game. You're missing three of your five starters, as I've said. You're coming off of the, a double overtime game. You have to take a plane to go face a pretty good Cleveland Cavaliers team and facing one of the best players in the NBA and Donovan Mitchell. This is a tough game. This could be a scheduled loss. How does this team respond is what I'm looking to see. Yeah. And I mean, we could beat around the bush and keep, you know, repeating things, but I mean, once again, I feel like we say on every episode, we just got to go out there and see what they do. And I would love um, a a win tonight um, against the Cavaliers. It's not a guarantee. Like you said, Um, missing out on a lot of players. We have a easy, or a good game that can get us back into rhythm against Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers. In my opinion, if you're looking at a person for that game on Wednesday, it would be Marcus Smart. I want to see what he's going to do against Damian Lillard. And I feel like what Marcus Smart does in that game is going to 
uh, tell us a lot about what the rest of the season is going to hold. But before we before we kind of overwater um, that that section, I said we move on to a little bit of college ball. You guys cool with that? Yeah, hundred percent. I didn't want to get a headache. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm already well on my way to one, but um, let's 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 dive into to the beautiful world of college basketball. Uh, starting with the end of the regular season, um, tournament uh, conference tournament brackets have been set. Um, conferences have been won on Saturday, um, and I guess we'll start it off with that a little bit off schedule from what we talked about. But how about the ACC coming down to Saturday night? And when you think of the ACC, you think of Virginia, Duke, UNC. No. Pittsburgh, Miami, um, the Panthers with, I mean, I want to say their first chance maybe ever to win the ACC. Uh, they they went down to Miami to face the Hurricanes, a very experienced squad. Isaiah Wong led the way, um, not in scoring, but, I mean, one of the best defensive guards in the nation. Um, kind of the, the team just took over, a very deep team, um, ended up winning the game by two points. These two teams, I mean – in the ACC, we've been paying a lot of attention, and I'm not going to be talking about Duke versus UNC that game because I mean, it it it, it was a it was a very very weird game, very bad game in my opinion. Um, but looking at these two teams in the ACC, I love these two teams to beat Virginia. I love these two teams to meet each other once again in the conference tournament final, and I like both of these teams to make a little run in March Madness. I think that both of these teams are very experienced. Um, Miami, I think, well-deserved that win. And Miami's a team, I mean, last year we were talking about Miami, right? And who did they lose? They didn't lose anybody. They still have their two guards that they have. Isaiah Wong has been there for about 45 years. Um, They have bigs. Um, Their biggest issue, in my opinion, would be their rebounding. But I mean, they out-rebounded Pitt by 20 last game, so looks pretty good. But in terms of the ACC this year, guys, it's funny that it has to come down to a game between Pittsburgh and Miami. That's not exactly what you think would happen. But, um, I mean, just looking out, do we like one of these teams to win the ACC? Or are we looking at a team like Clemson still? Or maybe Duke, who's now ranked 21st in the nation. And, I mean, just another thing, Virginia, who um, is right there with Miami uh, at the two seeds. So, do we like a Miami? Do we like a Pittsburgh Stav? Or, or are we liking someone else out of there? Well, I'm going to tell you teams that I'm completely out on in the ACC, right? I, I mean, not completely out on, but I don't like, right? I don't like Virginia anymore. I think that they've taken way too many close losses, especially down the stretch. Um, Clemson, Clemson really doesn't do it for me. I don't think that they're necessarily experienced enough. I don't think that they can, I don't think that they're better than either of the teams we just talked about in Pitt and Miami, but I do like both of these teams. Both of these teams aren't something where you can just overlook, right? And you said it best. I don't remember the last time Pittsburgh had a chance to win the ACC. It's always been run by well, they were in the big East and like. 07. I think they came to the ACC and I mean this year might be completely wrong but around that 2010 2011 year yeah. and I mean since then I mean I didn't even know that they played ACC basketball. Exactly. And I think that's for a reason. And now that I think Pitt Athletics and just in general are on the come up. Right? We we've seen a right. lot of guys yep. just, I mean in football we see Kenny Pickett going out. 
um, first round pick. They were ranked. They had a pretty good bowl game. They've had good seasons consecutively. And let's talk about Miami. Miami is is that one Florida State loss away from probably being a top ten ranked team in the AP poll. Um, they're they're a pretty good team. They're very balanced and they're very experienced. And that's how you win. Come March, you need to be experienced. You need to be poised. You need to be well coached, and you need to be able to. It's a very balanced attack, right? You look at this box score; they got scoring from everywhere, right? All their starters were scoring, besides Walker. I mean, but still, you you got guys coming off the bench who are scoring eighteen and fifteen. That's mm-hmm. huge, especially in these big games. They, I mean, this was a very close game, and when their backs were against the wall, essentially, they turned the ball over. Uh, 16 times they lost a turnover battle and usually in college especially in these closer games where 70 78 to 76 excuse me usually that's what that's the nail in the coffin when you turn the ball over but um they overcame it they played well and shout out Pitt Pitt I if I had to pick one of these two teams I'm taking Miami to make a deeper run but Pitt is definitely a team you don't want to overlook yeah in, in Miami Miami is obviously the one seed in Pitt um, actually the ACC is very contested around that, um, ranking where it's, wait, let me get the exact number. This is once again, bad journalism. And I just had it up, but, um, ACC was 15 or in the ACC. If you're around like that 14 and six, 15 and five mark, if you're 15 and five, you could have been the one seed. And if you're 14 and six, you could have either been the three seed or as bad as it gets, which is what happened with Pittsburgh losing. They got the five seed which means they're going to have to play the winner of – this is a lot of information right now. Sorry, guys. They're going to have to play the winner of Florida State and Georgia Tech. So that should be an easy game, the 12 versus the 13. But if Pitt wins that game, their next game is against Duke, the Blue Devils, who will. Um, Obviously not a team that we like, but a team that got a big win on Saturday, whether you like it or not, giving them the four seed. Now they have to play a team like Pitt compared to if they were to lose to UNC, they have to play maybe a Boston college and then a Virginia. Um, They get an extra round uh, off for a bye playing a pit team. Duke versus Pitt, not a game that you would suspect to be like a big rivalry or whatever, but it's going to be a great game. And looking at that top side of the bracket, would you like Duke to be Pitt? And then moving on even further from then, would you like – Miami over both of those teams or or where do you really find yourself in this ACC tournament? I mean, cause it, it is packed up at the top. It is packed. And, and we're taking a look at obviously the ACC itself. There's a lot of teams here that you don't want to see come the tournament time, like the real tournament time. There's a lot of competitive teams. A, a lot of these teams can easily take out your favorite squad any night of the week. I mean, Penn, Miami, mainly the big two that we're talking about here. I think I like Pitt over Duke, and I'm and I obviously that can be a little biased because I am a UNC fan, but I still think by far I think Pitt wins that battle. I they're they are just more of a tight knit group. They they play scrappy. They have a reason to want to win this. They have they they want to keep striving in the right direction. And I think for a team like Pitt, they would take a big advantage from going deep in the ACC tournament and going into March with head held high. And I think for a team like Pitt to either lose off early, still make it into the tournament, I think that leaves them in a weird spot. I feel like that leaves them in territory where they get into a team and they play someone good. And then they're like, oh, damn, well, we lost to Duke in that round. And it was a close game. And like Duke's not even really that good. Like we're better than them. They're going to start getting in their own heads. And for a team like Pitt kind of on the come up, we don't really hear about them too, too much in basketball. I think that's key for them to beat Duke and try to move on. Yeah, yeah. And that that game is really, if they beat, if they beat Duke, they'll probably get 
um, a six seed, maybe a five seed. If mm-hmm. they lose to Duke, you're exactly right. Then they have around two weeks, two and a half weeks off. And, you know, they're looking back at that Saturday game against Miami where it's like, if we won this game, we could have been the one seed, but now we're the five seed. We have to play Duke. We lose to Duke. We, we only made it to the second round of the ACC tournament being the fifth seed in the ACC. Where's our ranking going to be? They might end up, even though being ranked, they could end up being maybe a, a last four in type team and having to play as an 11 seed against an 11 seed on opening day and getting an extra game in there is good for some teams. Um, it's bad for others. And um, you don't know exactly what you're going to get from this tournament. The last thing I do want to say about the ACC is looking at our team real quick, uh, the Tar Heels. They're going to have to play the winner of Boston college versus Louisville. Love it. Louisville is the worst team in I mean, the ACC, maybe in fucking college basketball, they suck. Um, BC, um, they're flashy. They have their moments. They beat Virginia. Um, They gave it to UNC. um, But we got a big win against them this year. Um, I like us to beat either of those teams. And then we play two-seeded Virginia. Um, I like us against Virginia. We beat them. We're either going to have to play uh, NC State or Clemson. That's when it gets a little shaky. But if we can get past that, I mean, I don't really mind UNC's path. If they can get to the ACC championship game, then we're talking about them being into March Madness. And, I mean, taking the loss to Duke really screwed them over. But that's that's the situation, the scenario that we're looking at now. Well, we talk about UNC kind of lacking in the regular season, right? And I mean, I have the bracket up right in front of me. They probably have the easiest path yeah. for a non-buy team to get to the championship. Yeah, I was thinking to cap them off in the semifinals. No, I think that they have a very good path to go. I mean, we say, I, I assume they'll face BC. They'll beat BC. The, in, yeah. in this stretch, they'll beat BC. Virginia, they match up well with. They've beaten them before. That can happen again. Then you get to the semifinal and – um you're maybe Clemson, Clemson, maybe NC State. Yeah, I like I like I like how we match up against Clemson more than I like how we match yeah. up against NC State. Yes, I agree. I'll assume that it'll be Clemson just based off the of seeding, yeah. right? But the this North Carolina team, a very similar team to what we saw last year, make a championship run. The only difference between this team and last year's team is this year's team didn't have the momentum wins going into the ACC yeah. tournament, right? And that's what and they sucked. didn't have that beautiful six seven long-haired caveman yes. splashing threes. Instead, we have Pete Nance, who has been averaging 18 games since the Lemon Oreo came out, but then put up three against Duke. The one time I put him on my private story, and it was like, oh, he's been averaging 18 points? I'll show him some love. The Cookie Monster, that's his new nickname, comes out and he drops three points. I mean, how many times have I ragged Pete Nance on this show? Yeah, Maybe every single time we talk about UNC, I gave him a chance on Saturday. I was like, Maybe it's his moment. He's going to drop 30, and he's going to be, like, one of our best players. No, he still sucks. We've both gotten got by Pete Nance this year. I feel like on numerous occasions, we're like, hey, Pete Nance, you know, he's having a great having a great game, having a great stretch right here. Immediately once I say that, he has, like, the worst game of his life the following yeah. time. I don't get it. It's just upsetting. He sucks. Um, but I feel like we covered a good amount of the ACC. What's wrong with What did you say? Before before we move on from the ACC, what's wrong with Caleb Love? Like, he, he's just playing a baseball yeah, I basketball. Mean, are, Anytime that the spotlight's on him since uh, this season overall. Yeah. Him and RJ – I mean, RJ Davis has been playing better, but Caleb Love hasn't been good. I was going to say that we exact talking, thing. Like, where we we're talking about how he could possibly be in the NBA. 
last year after the tournament, right? After this year, I don't see him going anywhere after college. <laughs> like, No, I, I, I could easily see him staying another year at UNC, and it's just the fact that last year he was put in a very good situation where he didn't have to handle the ball as much as he really does this year because even though Brady Manick played the four, there was a lot of times where the ball was in Brady Manick's hands, whether that be in the post or at the wing or, um, you know, driving, making plays. But at the beginning of the season, we were like, okay, here's the torch. Here's the offense. You are our point guard. RJ Davis is going to run the two, right? And we kind of separated those two where last year you kind of saw both of them. It looked like we had two point guards out there and it worked very well. Right. Um, RJ Davis has stepped up and he's been a scorer for us. And that's exactly what we asked for him. Whereas Caleb love, we've kind of asked him not to take a step back, but to take on a different role where it's like Armando Baycott's the best player on the floor whenever he's out there. And that's how it should be. And he should have the ball in his hands. Caleb Love, your job is to give the ball to him or give the ball to somebody else so they can score instead of letting him. I mean, he's he's a kid that last year he got a lot of love because of how tough he is. He's a St. Louis kid. Um, he can get to the rim. He can hit threes. He can do all these things. And you're exactly right, Stop. He just um, – I don't know what, what happened to him, but the role that he ha has been playing for this team is very different from the way that – in the style, honestly, that he was playing last year, that he doesn't play with as much freedom. Um, he, he doesn't play as loose as I feel like he played last year. And I don't know if that's because of injuries, because he has been dealing with injuries on and off. Um, but I mean, you're exactly right. And that's been one of the keys for exactly why UNC started the season as the number one seed. And now we're talking about how far do they have to make it in this ACC tournament to even have a chance, you know, to make March Madness. But, um, Let's move on to another game on Saturday, um, a big game at Texas, Kansas, who had already won the um, Big 12 uh, regular season title, um, went out for a big, I, I would say a momentum, little momentum game um, at Texas. If they get this win, it's a big one. Um, but I do want to say, don't call this an upset. Texas the top 10 team in the nation. And I feel like we were talking about how much we don't love Texas um, but as that comes through, I do want to say that Sir Jabari Rice is the best six man in the nation, and there's no reason why he shouldn't be a starter on this team. I I mean, Sir Jabari Rice is – he would start at UNC. He would start at Miami. He would start at Pittsburgh. He would start at all these ACC schools. He would probably be a six man at Kansas because Kansas is, is disgusting. But Sir Jabari Rice put on an absolute show on Saturday, he dropped 23 and seven off the bench, um, which you don't see that often off the bench in college basketball. This is a very deep team in Texas and a good ramp up win before getting into the big 12 tournament and Stav, We've been talking about Kansas where, I mean, we like them to win the national championship. How much do you think that this game and almost a 20 point loss, do you, do you think it really affects them as, as much as it would say maybe two weeks ago? No, to be honest, I, it's one of those games where, this was a Texas game. The tech, uh, the Texas Longhorn. There was no doubt that the Texas Longhorns were going to win this game from the opening tip. And the one thing that does concern me a little bit is Grady Dick's ability to uh, really perform on the road and in big time games. We really haven't seen him exceed expectations in these type of games. I'm not worried about Jalen Wilson. He he's a stud, but. 
Grady Dick, he's supposed to be the number two on this team, mm-hmm. and he really underperformed. You can't put up six points as a number two on a team that really at the end of this week could have been ranked the number one team in the nation if they won this game. And, and I would I would argue that they still should be the number one team in the nation. And, um, you know, I don't want to talk too much about uh, Houston because Houston sucks and I hate them. Uh, but they only won by two points to Memphis. And I consider that um, if they were to play maybe Rutgers and they're in the Big Ten, um, I think that's a 15, 20-point loss. I think that's like what it compares to. Um, I think Kansas should be the number one team in the country, uh, win, win or loss on, on this. And it is Monday. So I actually don't know if any rankings have come out. I think the final um, AP ranking was released this morning, no? Um, okay, yeah, here it is. Here it is. Houston's still the one. UCLA is now the two. Um, they had a big game on Saturday. Um, Kansas still the three. Yep, and, and Bama is the four. Um, but looking at the Big 12, um, Kansas obviously the one seed. You're exactly right about Grady Dick. Um It's just the fact that Grady Dick, when he's put in a position to just, you know, stand there and shoot, he's awesome. But if you lock him off, you don't really have to pay that much attention to him because he's not going to beat you off ball. He's not looking to move. He's not looking to make cuts and he's athletic. Like he should be looking to make these plays. And not only were we looking at Grady Dick as a number two option on a national championship winning team, but we were looking at him as, a six, seven shooting guard who could be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. Just the way I, I mean, I guess you could say hustle the way that he hustles the, the amount of work that he wants to put in when the ball isn't in his hands on offense is very lackluster. He doesn't move off ball. He doesn't look to get to open spots on the floor. And there's a lot of times in, um, I mean, I'm not the only one that said this. I I'm not going to, I, I, it wasn't Dickie V who was on the call, but somebody was talking about it on the ESPN broadcast in this game, and that's when I really picked it up, and I just started watching him throughout the whole game. When he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's just sitting in the corner. Like, he's not yeah. moving, and he's letting Jalen Wilson work, which makes sense. But, I mean, roam the three-point line. Cut cut through the baseline. Do something. You're athletic. You can make cuts, and you're 6'7". And in college basketball, you can either be a 6'7 shooting guard or a 6'7 center. So, he, if you're six seven, you're dunking on people at that point with that athleticism that Grady Dick has. Um, he should be doing a lot more for that team, and he hasn't been. And it's been like that for a few weeks now. He's had a few big games, but really nothing too special. And you're just really looking at Jalen Wilson to carry. I mean, the bulk of that offense and the defense has been good from Kansas, and it always will be. Um, but looking at that loss, I don't think it's anything to really take to heart. You just have to be looking about how that offense moves off ball and how how well the players around Jalen Wilson play because it can't continue to be this one man show and Texas really put that on a spotlight. So um, it, well, and, it, it, the Big Twelve is is very fun to watch and we've been talking about it all year. And even the team we we said this last episode too. Even the teams at the kind of at the bottom of the Big 12 are giving the teams at the top a run for their money. And this isn't just a, a shot in the dark with Grady, uh, Grady Dick. Like we can't classify this as an off game. Literally look at their last game against Texas Tech, a close game. He fucking sucks. He had or he had four? He had four points. He didn't make a field goal. They're all free throws, yeah. Yep. That can't happen, especially if you're supposed to be this highly recruited guy and you're supposed to be the number two. I, I think he's a five-star. That can't yeah, happen. Yeah, he's a five-star. McDonald's and, all America. Yeah, exactly. And 
this look, I don't want to just speak out of my ass when I say this, but it looks like for Grady Dick, this is the first time in his entire basketball career where he's facing talent that is equal to him or better than him, and he doesn't know how to overcome that. And that's just unacceptable, especially when the game is so narrowed down and everything's under a microscope when you talk about the tournament. And the expectations for this Kansas team, they'll be a one seed in the tournament, right? We know that. How does he respond when shit hits the fan, right? We saw it with the Kansas team uh, last year in the national championship. They were down 15 at half, and that team responded in the second half. Does this team have the same fortitude to essentially do that? I don't think so. I think when shit hits the fan for this team, everything just crumbles. And it's unfortunate to say that. I hate saying that because I do like Kansas. It's just Grady Dick is a number two right now, underperforming a shit ton. He has time to make it up and prove me wrong, and I hope he proves me wrong. But right now, his last two games and his, this last stretch for him is really concerning. Yeah, and, and you can't be, um, you can't be overreacting in the Big Twelve because even with Kansas being the one seed, that means the first game they're probably going to play Texas Tech, which is the exact game that you were just talking about in the regular season. Grady Dick only had four points, um, and once they win that, um, then you have to play Baylor. So just straight off the bat. I mean, you're playing difficult games in, in the Big 12 tournament. Um, you're going to have to play Baylor, and then you're going to have to play either a K-State, a TCU, or a Texas in that championship game. And I think that not only are they going to be a one seed in March Madness, but I think as long as they get to the championship game, they'll be a one seed. I don't think they have to win uh, uh, the Big 12, but – I think that they could, and I think that they will end up winning the Big 12, and I think it's going to be a large part um, because of Jalen Wilson and his ability to play basketball. Obviously, in that game on Saturday, he he matched Serge Abari Rice with 23 points. Um, but the last game I want to talk about um, before we get on to a little Bruins talk, as well as the last tournament bracket I want to talk about, um, is the game between Villanova and UConn at Villanova. Um, 14 seeded Huskies, uh, Stav, we were saying maybe we could go into this as a trap game um, with the way that Villanova has been, uh, you know, kind of heating up, uh, sneaking over 500 for the season, uh, looking to get over 500 for their conference uh, standings as well. But, I mean, UConn kind of just put them to bed in this game. And this was a big momentum game for UConn who – like we've been saying, was a one seed at one point in this season. Um, we wanted to see how maybe people like a Donovan Klingon was going to fit into this team, who was very successful earlier in the season, finished the game only playing 13 minutes against Villanova. Um, and obviously they didn't play all of their starters, and Klingon is one of their starters. Um, but it was, it was a great game for UConn to kind of use their bench and – People stepped up. I mean, Alex Carabin, shout out to our CMAS guys, um, had a good game in, in this game. He doesn't start every single game. He's averaging around 10 a game. He dropped 16 in this game. He has six rebounds, four, or four assists, and a steal, three blocks as well. That's a very good stat line from someone that's going to be a wing for that team, a very tall team. And in the Big East, um, looking at the tournament, I mean, this is a jam-packed tournament. This is – what we want to see at MSG um, and UConn with that win secured their spot in the quarterfinals straight up first game against Providence, the Friars. And I mean, this is, 
exactly goes to my point that this is a crazy conference. We have Marquette who finished with in the one seed, uh, Xavier to finish with the two seed, as we said they would. Same with Creighton at the three. And then it was really up to that four versus five. UConn with the win actually uh, grabbed it. Doesn't really mean too much. Um, but just looking at this conference, I mean, I could see Villanova making a run. I could see if Providence can get UConn, I could see them beating uh, Marquette in the semis. There's there's a lot of ways I could see this uh, thing going. And Stav, I don't know if you have the bracket up yet, do you? Yeah. So, I mean, just, just looking, at, looking at that top side of the bracket where you have St. John's or where you have Marquette um, and they'll probably play – St. John's and then UConn versus Providence. Who who do you like in those two games up top? I mean, I can't pick against Marquette until they prove otherwise, in my opinion. They they've had a great stretch run towards the end to essentially lock up this one seed in the Big East. So I'm gonna take them over what I would assume to be St. John's. I'll take St. John's over Butler. And UConn and Providence really up to this point has really been a coin flip, right? Yeah. And Definitely. in what's essentially a neutral site in New York between the two teams, give me UConn. I, I think their size is too much for Providence. And I think that they stretch the floor a lot better and they're a lot more poised. Um, and then you got the, the big matchup between Marquette and UConn. That, that's just going to be a treat to watch. Um, I, that's another game where I, I just flip a coin. I have no idea who's going to win, but every time I pick against UConn, they prove me wrong. And every time, I pick against Marquette, they prove me wrong. So it's one of those things where I'm clueless, but I'm going to root for UConn in that game. And and you know what? This is like a great year of Big East basketball because when you think of Marquette basketball and you think of the style of basketball that they play, at the ceiling of Marquette basketball, this is the exact team. Like they're fast-paced, they're fun, they shoot the ball, they play great defense. I mean, they're all all around just a great team. And then I would say the same thing with UConn where they have a guard, they have a wing, and they have a big or two where it's like you have a person at every single level. Um, That's exactly what UConn does. UConn runs that New England, that maybe even New York style of basketball where it's like, we're going to just beat you with our talent on the floor with our technique. And, and that would be a very fun game. And Will, looking at the bottom of um, this bracket, obviously Xavier and Creighton on two buys. Um, I would say between the game of Seton Hall and DePaul, I would take Seton Hall. And then I have Villanova obviously over Georgetown, who is the worst team in the big East. So um, the Villanova would be taken on Creighton in this hypothetical and Seton Hall would be taking on Xavier. You like those top dogs to win. And um, if not, maybe a little Villanova run. What, what are we thinking from that bottom half of the big East bracket? Obviously two good teams. I think, let's see. It's um Villanova versus Creighton, right? Yep. Villanova Creighton and Seton Hall uh, Xavier. I like Xavier advancing there, and I like Villanova possibly getting an upset there. I think Villanova is always a team that you can throw in the mix. For an upset, they're always a team that you can kind of just they're, – they're there, they linger around, and they're always going to be good. They're always going to be a team that you're going to be like, oh, well, maybe they're not having like the best season, but they're still there. Like They're still there. So I think definitely out of anyone to kind of make a little bit of a run there, it would definitely be Villanova. But obviously two good teams with Crane and Xavier, but I think Xavier has that one and Villanova will take it. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Just with that point with Villanova, I feel like that's what we've been talking about pretty much their whole season where it's their first season with a new coach. Um, Jay Wright's been there for 500 million years, and, you know, he's finally out of town. You expect them to have that down year, but once again, they're Villanova. They still have some of those recruits uh, that their old coach brought in, and, I mean, a few of them probably left in the transfer portal, but you're exactly right. And just, I mean, looking at this, I like – I think I like just in the final because I had you two kind of cover up to the semis. In the final, I think this year I'm liking UConn losing to Xavier. I think Xavier pulls off some sort of run where they get through um, Seton Hall with ease and then Creighton kind of gives them a tough time. But Creighton's just – I mean, they're a team that just shoots the three ball very efficiently. I think Xavier gets it done on defense. And then in the final, I have UConn collapsing because I feel like they do it all the time, and I have Xavier taking the Big East. That's just my little prediction. Um, But that covers uh, our college basketball section for today. Stav, take me to the world of ice. All right, welcome back to the world of ice. How about those back-to-back episodes talking about hockey and – the Bruins exceeded expectations. Uh, since the last time we recorded, they faced the Buffalo Sabres and the New York Rangers, right? They absolutely dominated against the Sabres. Absolutely killed them, 7-1. to one. This, at one point, was a closer game. Bruins are only up 3-1, uh, to one, I think, in the third period late. And then they just rattled off four goals in the last four minutes of the game, which is just absolutely unreal. A very balanced attack from the Bruins in that game, 7-1. to one. It was never in doubt. And this was one of those – this was the one of the best games that we've seen out of Jeremy Swayman this season – only allowing one goal against a pretty exciting young Buffalo Sabres team who um, they've given great teams run for their money all season, right? And I'm I'm impressed they put up seven against this team, but nothing really surprises me when we talk about this Boston Bruins team. If you want to look at goals and stuff, this is everyone basically scored. I mean, Bergeron scored. You got two goals out of Jacob Lackow, who has gotten very limited ice time. David Posternock scored a goal. I think this was his first game after he signed the extension, which is just awesome to see. You got Zaka, who scored, who's been on an absolute tear since Taylor Hall has kind of – who we there's speculation about Taylor Hall, who the word yeah. on the street is he tore his ACL, which is absolutely a biz. Like, that sucks for this team. And then Dmitry Orlov, a guy who was not really known for scoring and getting points on Washington, but he stepped into his role here in Boston and is absolutely dominated. He's been playing awesome. He's been getting, he's been scoring. He's been assisting guys. I think he's had a, at least one point in every single game that he's played in thus far as a Bruin. And this seven to one game is just a summary of what the Bruin season is, right? Against a team that it's not a good as not as good as you would, a young, fun, exciting team. We will see the Buffalo Sabres be competing in the NHL for years to come. In my opinion, this is a young, fun, up and coming team. And if, how I would compare them to, um, I will compare them to the Seattle Mariners in baseball, right? Okay. It's team that it's like, okay, they got a young stud. Tage Thompson is that young stud on the Sabres who you would compare to Julio Rodriguez. And they have the ability and they have the cap to make moves in the offseason and make trades to either – they have draft capital, right? So they can either improve for the future or they can kind of trade some of those assets and get bigger name stars who are free agents who are on the trade block come this summer. And let's talk about the matchup of the weekend between the Bruins and the Rangers, right? This is a lot of people's Eastern Conference Finals prediction. This is These are two teams that went all in at the deadline, right? You want to talk about the Rangers and some of the acquisitions they 
they got obviously headlining that Patrick King. And then earlier in the season, or not earlier in the season, but a few weeks back, they got Vladimir Tarasenko, who's an absolute goal scorer. This is a very deep team. And this was another one of those games where the Bruins never really had that. This was never in doubt for the Bruins. Um, Charlie Coyle got it started to start the, uh, or to end the, I'm sorry, Charlie Coyle scored. And then they scored right away in the second period. They scored a shorthanded goal. And that was the kind of the turning point in this game. That put them up two to nothing where, okay, now the Rangers are just playing catch up, right? You And the Rangers are a very good power play team. And for us to get a shorthanded goal, that changed the entire momentum. That just put us in the driver's seat for the rest of the game. And then you got, uh, this was Tyler Bertuzzi, recent acquisition for them. This was a huge pickup for them, especially because, like I said, Taylor Hall is, he's getting a second opinion. We don't know. We're speculating, but he could be out for the rest of the season. Tyler Bertuzzi steps into that role and does it a pretty damn good job. He got a point with his assist, his 11th assist of the season. And first period, Charles Charlie Coyle, Coyle scored. Then you got Nosek, who scored the shorthanded one. And then the, the Rangers came back, scored a power play goal. As I said, that power play unit has been dominant for the Rangers. And then you have your captain and your assistant captain scoring two goals in the third period to ice it essentially with Bergie scoring. And then you have Pasternak who scored an absolute scorcher McAvoy who in Dmitry Orlov, like I said, he had another assist in this game. That's a guy who thank God we got him that adds a lot more to this team. And then Lafayette scored with a minute and a half left. It really didn't mean much, but another excellent game out of Linus Allmark. They were peppering him with shots in the first period and he withheld it. Yeah. and, And I mean, it's something that he's been doing all season and I just want to say, um, you said Swayman's uh, game against Buffalo on Thursday was his best of the season. Um, how about that? Swayman getting some love because on the previous episode, we were talking about their game against Edmonton. And they have um, a big game coming up on Thursday, which I'd like to hear your thoughts about after this. Um, but you, you said against Edmonton on February 27th, that was probably Swayman's best game all year against a very tough team. Um, only letting in two goals and making sure that we walked out. Uh, walked out of there with a win um, and go, just going up is his next very next game only gives up one goal. We win seven, one um, good. I mean, we have two solid goalies right now. Omar, the best goalie in the league and Swayman, who has been impressing as of late. Um, I remember earlier in the season, it was those games. I mean, when we were losing, I feel like it was every single time we were losing, he was the one in net. Um, but I mean, he's finding something, maybe Swayman's teaching him, or Omar's teaching them a, a, a thing or two, but going into Edmonton on Thursday at the Garden Stav, um, obviously getting a 3-2 win against them a week ago. How do we see this game going? Do we continue this crazy win streak that we've been on? Um, after this, we have Detroit for a couple of games, Chicago, Winnipeg. I like our schedule after this, but just over this little hump stuff. Um. Going forward, I mean, we don't know who's going to be in net. Obviously, that that doesn't come out until the morning of, essentially. Yep. But I would assume that Linus Olmark will be in net for this game. Um, and you need to have your best players on the ice when you're going up against this Edmonton Oilers team, who probably has the two best, probably the best line in hockey when you talk yeah. about Connor McDavid, who has a ridiculous 122 points. He has 52 goals on the season. That's eight more goals than David Pasternak. And what sucks about being a Bruins fan right now, essentially, is how long we have to wait for this game. Um, we it, it, Essentially a week apart 
in games where we we obviously played Saturday. Now we got to wait all the way until Thursday to play this game. But this is going to be a fun game. I mean, anytime that the Edmonton Oilers play, you expect to see goals. You expect to see points. And that that's kind of the, to the demise of the Oilers as well because that defense of the Oilers sucks. So the, every time that the Oilers play, the line is set like six and a half for goals for the over-under. And it's never a bad bet to bet the over because McDavid's probably going to get two himself and have three assists. So it was funny on the broadcast, actually, on Saturday. Um, they were talking about how Connor McDavid had an off game and he still had, like, two assists. Like, that that's a pretty damn good game for everyone else. But these two lineups match up awesomely. Yeah. But our, our defense is way better. I, yeah. I think we win this game. And it was fun in the first matchup, as we said. And <clears throat> with Omar Kinnett in the second, um, I mean, let's see what he can do against the best player in, in, in as you said, the best line in hockey. But um, with that being said, I think that about wraps it up. Right, guys? Yeah. Or we good? Yeah, All that's right. it. Well, action packed. Yeah, big episode. As always, three sports. We got a lot of action coming this week as well. Um, so make sure you guys keep up on Celtics. We will be back with the Red Sox. Um, World Baseball Classic is kind of putting a little thing, putting a little, you know, end to spring training a little early. But I kind of want to talk a little bit about that, too, once we get to that time. Um, we got a lot to cover. Conference tournaments coming up as well. But with that being said, we will catch you guys on the next episode. Um, and peace.